Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, above all, we want to thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you sent him and he took our place. And because of his work, we are here in your presence. And Lord, we thank you for this time. And we pray that you will open our hearts, open our minds as we learn more about your son, Jesus, today. And that we will be um, empowered by the spirit. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, welcome. Today, we are continuing our series on heresies and creeds. And if you haven't picked up a copy, picked up a, pick up a copy at the back, handouts. Um, today is part three. So just to give you an overview, we started with introduction. And we looked at, uh, we'll do a recap quickly. And today, we're looking at heresies against Christ's divinity. Okay, and next week we will look at heresies against Christ's humanity. Okay, so just to recap, we spoke about heresy. We defined what heresy is, and we said heresy is false teaching against core Christian doctrines of salvific importance. Okay, it's not about practices. It's not about one person does this, the other person practices something else. No, if it affects our core Christian faiths and if it affects doctrines that are important for salvation, those we classify as heresies, okay? And we said we need to learn about them because truth matters, theology matters, and we need to know uh, where the attacks are coming from so that we can defend our faith. And finally, we need to learn about them because we don't want to repeat them and we don't want to commit the same heresies. Uh, we started with looking at heresies against the word of God, Martianism, um, and then we also looked at Gnosticism two weeks ago, and we said Gnosticism has two main pillars, um, dualism and secret knowledge. Okay, and we said that in Christ, all knowledge is, has been displayed. Colossians 2.3, if you haven't memorized it, you should memorize this verse. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So also just a little bit of structure. We're looking at heresies first, and then once we know the heresies, and as we look at the heresies, we're looking at how do we refute them from the Bible, right? How do we look at them scripturally, and how can we say, no, that's not right from what the Word of God says? And once we do that, in part five, which is two weeks from now, we will look at how the church handled it and how they defined creeds and confessions of faith, which actually are from the Bible, and they guide us today as we define our faith. Okay, so today we will be doing the same thing. We will look at heresies against Christ's divinity, and we will look at biblical refutations, and we will see how can we um, fight them, or how can we refute them from God's word itself. And then in week five, we will talk about how the early church did it, and we'll go through three main creeds, and we'll look at all the sections that they put in to refute or to fight against these heresies. Okay, so that's our structure. So let's go into um, Christological heresies. So these heresies against Christ's um, divinity and against his humanity they are heresies against the identity of Christ, right? Who is Jesus? The church has defined Jesus to be fully God and fully man. Okay, so that's what we learned from the history that we have from what the church has defined and how we'll see how the Bible also defines him as fully God and fully man. He is not half God, half man, half Jew, or something else, okay? Inside joke, Bina is laughing. <laughs> so, he is fully God and fully man. Okay? So, this is how the church has defined. But why do you think the early church did not get it? Like, what do you think was the problem? Like, why did they struggle? Beckery, yes. I cannot hear you. The Jews uh, relied too heavily on the law, okay? Any other answers? Yes? Um, no one's ever done that before. It's a new idea. 
it's a new idea, okay? As in Jesus coming up and saying, I'm God, or I'm... Okay, God showing up as a man or here I am. Okay. Any other answers? Yes, Tom. So, okay, so it would suggest that God was plurality, which didn't make sense to the Jews. Okay, fair enough. Anything else? One more answer. Chris. Well-established Greco-paganism, okay, and what, what about that? Okay, bad idea for people sneaking in from there. Okay, so all good, one, good answers, and the Jews were monotheists, and what Tom said, it's the plurality of gods was like, if you're a Jew and if you say, I'm God, I mean, Jesus is God, and God the Father is God. So they were like, what? That's completely against what the Jews have believed for 4,000 years and for all of Old Testament. I mean, the Shema, if you remember, the Lord thy God is one, right? So if you go and tell a Jew Jesus is God, it's like, what do you mean Jesus is God? And then you can think about the different verses. Um, I think this is... Um, in numbers, I'm not sure, uh, where God says, I'm not a man, right? And then you have a man, and you're like, he's God. Like, the Jews are completely flabbergasted, and they're like, no, he's not God. How can he be God? We have one God. But for the Gentiles, it's like, sure, we have many gods, he's one of them, but he's not the God, there's nothing exclusive about him, he's just one of the gods. We have so many gods, Zeus, um, whatever else that you want to call, uh, they're all gods. And yeah, sure, Jesus is one God. But for the Jews, again, as I said, he is not God. But for the Gentiles, he is a small God or he's just human. He cannot be human. Right? Okay, fine, he's God. And none of our gods are humans. And remember Gnosticism where we said that matter or the body is evil so the spirit is good. So yeah, he is God. Fine, we'll believe you that he's God, but he's not human, right? So here you have two attacks, and we look at one of them today, which is against Jesus being God. And we'll look at what the biblical refutations are, but you have two attacks. One against Jesus as God, and the other as Jesus as a man, right? And the Bible and the creeds teach us that he is fully God and he's fully man, and we will learn why that is important in our next class, why he needs to be fully God and fully man. But today we'll understand why he needs to be fully God, or why he is fully God from the Bible. Okay? Okay, so just to list out some heresies against Jesus' divinity, the first one was Ebionitism. Okay, so this Ebionites were a group of, or was a, were a sect of the Jews, and they believed that Jesus is a great prophet. Obviously, there were Jews, they had multiple prophets who had come, and they said, yeah, he was one of the great prophets, he was an exemplary teacher, look at all his teaching and all the things that he did, but he is not God. Right? He's just like one of the prophets that we have had in the Old Testament. He is not God. So that was what the Ebionites believed and preached. And that was, um, again, one of the heresies that were in the early church about Jesus' divinity. And again, we're not going to go through every single heresy that were against Jesus' divinity, but we're going to group them and we look at one in particular. Okay? Adoptionism. Adoptionism taught that Jesus was a man, he was born as a man, and sometime during his life, maybe during his baptism or transfiguration or some other event during his life, he was adopted to be the Son of God. So he became the Son of God during his life at one of the major events, right? And... Um, Also, this is one of the big attacks that um, today mar modern scholars um, have against Christ's divinity. If you look at Romans 1.3, uh, it says that God declared him to be 
um, the Messiah or whatever the word is. But the word declared, they take the word declared from Romans 1.3 and say, look, after his resurrection, that's when he became God. Till that, he was just a man. No, no issues. Right? So those are the attacks against Jesus' divinity when it comes to adoptionism, that he was not God. He, didn't, he was not born as a God. He was a man. But at some point in his life, in, um, maybe even after his death, he was adopted to become the son of God. Okay? Subordinationism. He is a God, yes, and this is primarily from the Gentiles, but he is not the same God as Yahweh. Okay? He is lower than Yahweh. He's a little g God. Okay? He's a God with small g, and again, you can think about uh, the Gentiles and the paganism. They had so many gods. He is one of those little gods with a small g. Okay? And finally, um, which we will focus on today, Arianism. Arianism said that, or we'll look at Arius, and the teaching of Arianism was that he was God's supreme or greatest creature. Okay? He is not God, but he is God's supreme or greatest creature. He's not like every other creature. Okay? There's a class. He's in a class of him by himself. He's not God. He's not like any other creature, but he's God's first human, first creature. And the reason they said that is because uh, God would not create this world. It's too high and mighty for God to do such menial tasks. So he created Jesus so Jesus can create everything else. Right? So Jesus, um, and we'll look more at, uh, okay, we'll look more at Arianism um, in the coming slides. But uh, these were the heresies or you can group the heresies against Jesus' divinity into these four categories. So this was supposed to be a question, but my question was, uh, how would you refute these heresies? If somebody came and told you today that, yeah, Jesus is not God, he's a prophet, and, or, yeah, he's a little God, gee, how would you refute that? And, the, and I was going to get answers from you, but since it's already on the slide, we have to show that Jesus is not only God, Right? Because a lot of people believe that Jesus is God. I mean, if you go talk to the Hindus today, it's like, yeah, sure, Jesus is God. We have many other gods, and Jesus is one of the gods, and we worship him. We uh, do offer sacrifices to him, or we give money to him. Fine, big deal. But we also do it to other gods, right? He's just one of the gods. So it's not just important to show that Jesus is God, but that he is Yahweh. Right? And that makes a huge difference. That he is Yahweh, the one who created everything, the one who is the only God. And if you look at Old Testament, there's so many times God says, there is no one like me. I created everything. I did all these things. Who, which among the false gods can come and do all these things? Bring them, let them testify. Okay? And if you think about Elijah, the sacrifice on Mount Carmel, it's like, go call your gods. Right? So it's... When, if you are able to show or if you are able to convince the person, again, through your arguments, that he's not just God, but he is Yahweh, he's the same as Yahweh, and that is the testimony of the scripture, then that puts him at, like, okay, so who is Jesus then? He is Yahweh. Any questions at this time? Okay, all right, so as I mentioned, we'll look at Arianism, and the reason we'll look at Arianism is because it was a major heresy in the early church. It had the potential to divide the church and make the church go in the wrong direction to consider Jesus as um, a creature, and um, it was the first major heresy that I can think of. I don't think there was anything that was major where it divided the unity of the church. There were a lot of other heresies, like we said, Gnosticism. But um, Arianism, Arius was a presbyter. He was a bishop in Alexandria, and he wanted to understand who God is. Like, you know, he, like everybody else, he's like, okay, we have Jesus now, and we have God in the Old Testament. So what is the relationship between Jesus and God? Right? He wanted to know who God is. And through all his learning and his studies, he concluded that 
Jesus is not the same as the Father. God became a father. God was not always a father. God was all by himself first. God became a father when he created Jesus, right? And his famous uh, one-liner, if, if you were to put it that way, is he said, there was a time when the son was not, okay? He, was, he is not eternal. Yes, uh, Arius was in the early 4th century, so around 300, uh, late 3rd century to early 4th century, time when Arius was teaching his teaching. Okay, so he basically said that Jesus is not eternal. There's only one God, the Father. He is eternal, and he was not a father. He was all by himself for however period of time, right? He was all by himself, and then he decided to create Jesus so Jesus came into being. So Jesus is God's greatest creature. And there was a time when um, Jesus was not. That became their theme song. There was a time when the son was not. And the, the words from the scripture that helped him get to this conclusion was the word begotten from John 1.18 and John 3.16. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, right? So he got stuck on the word begotten. What does it mean, begotten? The way we understand begotten is that the person gives birth or begets or creates the other person, right? So when you say that God the Father begot the Son, like, okay, so God created Jesus. That was his understanding. And also uh, firstborn, firstborn in... Um, Colossians 1.15, okay, it says Jesus is the invisible image of the visible, I'm sorry, visible image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. So he picked on those two words and he was, um, came to his conclusion, yes, Jesus was a creature, he was created, he was begotten, and he is not the same substance as the Father which is what the next slides are. Jesus was the greatest of all creatures. The Son is not equal to the same substance, essence, or being as the Father. And he said that he is heterousios, which is usios means substance. And this became a big deal, and we'll talk about it when we look at the creeds. But if ever there was importance to an iota, okay, the Greek word iota, it was during the Council of Nicaea. If you said that Jesus was homoousios, which is of similar substance, then you're a heretic. If you said Jesus was homoousios, which is the same substance, then you're orthodox. Okay? I mean, many times we're like, what's in a word? Uh, what's in a sentence? Oh, big deal. I know what you mean. Like, no. The early church was like, nope, this was, if you remember the Old Testament, this was their shibboleth, right? You have to say it the right way, and you have to believe the right thing. It was homoousios, not homoousios, okay? The, that iota made the whole difference between you being a heretic and you being orthodox. And, of course, we... Uh, Council of Nicaea. This was the first major council that met, and the main goal of this council was to discuss Arianism. Okay, everybody who was a known Christian bishop, basically, they gathered at Nicaea in 325 AD to talk about Arianism. And if you look at the accounts, there are people came, like they didn't have, uh, they were amputated, they were missing body parts because of persecution, and again, if you know the history of the church, they were persecuted, and there was a time when Constantine became the emperor, and then the persecution start, stopped, and Constantine was like, what's going on? Like, why are, why are Christians fighting? Like, what is going on? And you have one group over here who are with Arius, and then you have another group over here who are against Arius, and let's just bring them all together, and let's just talk, okay? And such... I mean, Arianism was that um, important to the history of the church and to defining who Jesus was. And again, it all hung on one letter, one Greek letter. 
Okay, any questions so far? Yes, Deb. Yes, he was, he was a bishop in a, in a church, so he did follow the word of God, but he did not consider Jesus to be Yahweh. He said Jesus was lower than Yahweh. He was the first of all creatures, but he's still above us. And God has put him in a place that is above all creation, but he is still the first created being. Yes, and he is still someone whose words we should follow, which is what Deb is asking if, we sh if that's what Arius taught. Uh, Bob. Arianism, we're going against the majority. Right? That's, yeah, that's, that's Bob's point. Arianism were going against the majority, but it was so powerful that people were just buying into it. Right? And they're like, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. And like I said, the theme song, the theme one-liner, there was a time when the sun was not. There was a time when the sun was not. That became very catchy. Yes, John. How did they handle the adequacy of the sacrifice? Yeah, I mean, that's, that was God's plan. He was, um, that's a good point that you bring up, <laughs> which we will look at. Um, but that was, according to them, it's like, fine. I mean, this is what God put forth as a way for us to be saved. And this was Jesus who was above all of us, right? He is above all of us. And he took our place. And yeah, but he's not God. God cannot die. Yes, Corinne. They consider Yes, I think they will. Agree, uh, so the question is, did they agree or believe that Jesus was a man? So yes, I think they will agree to all of those uh, statements that yes, he was man. He went through everything that we did, and he has some kind of identification with us, but he is not God. You know, anything that you can say that he is not God, they'll be like, yeah, sure, but he's not God. Kevin. Yeah, so just to summarize what Kevin was saying, that there could be, they could be believing that G, the gospel, but they could still be saved in spite of their theology. And they're not like Islam, who are directly attacking Christianity, but these are Christians who go to a different church, but they have a different understanding of the person of Jesus. And the early church realized that this is a major issue, and the gospel could be lost because of this heresy. Did I summarize that? Okay. All right, so let's move along. How would you refute a claim like that? Remember, we said we sh not only need to show that Jesus is God, but that he is Yahweh.
Yes, Chris. Isn't Jesus saying, I am? Jesus saying, I am? Yeah. Okay. It's a good argument, but there are ways to get around that. It's like, so what? So what if he said, I am? There's a beggar in um, John's gospel. He said, I am too. So? I and the Father are one. Um, yes, okay. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, okay. Yes? Unique prerogatives of deity assigned to God with the Old Testament. Jesus appropriated for himself continuously. Okay. Okay, so whatever attributes or unique prerogatives that were assigned to Yahweh in the Old Testament, Jesus claimed for himself in the New Testament. Okay, that's probably where we're headed. Can, um, to, to the other um, arguments, yes, I think as Christians we can definitely say, I and the Father are one, and when we look at it, but there are ways that those can be twisted. And we'll look at one of them today after we look at Arianism. But there are ways that those can be twisted to cast a shadow of doubt and be like, okay, yeah, I know Jesus said that, but that's not what he meant. It doesn't mean that he is Yahweh, right? Or he is, um, in that case, the attack will go on his personhood, not on his deity, right? Okay, so in your Bibles, please look at Hebrews chapter 1. And also open to Psalm 102. Okay, Hebrews, cha Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. Okay, when I get there. All right, I'm reading from the NASB. That's the one I have here. Um, the writer writes, but of the Son, he says, so this is the saying about the Son, right? So this is what the writer says, that God is saying this of the Son. So, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And verse 10, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. If you have a footnote in your Bible, that footnote will point you to Psalm 102 and 25. So in Hebrews 1.8, of the Son, he says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Who is Psalm 102 referring to in the Old Testament? Who laid the foundation? Does anybody have that? Can you read it, please? Who is that addressed to? Yahweh. It's kind of default, yes. <laughs> yeah, so look at that. The authors of the Bible, they're like, in the Old Testament, the one who created the universe and laid foundations of the world is Yahweh. I mean, over and over again, Isaiah 40, uh, 45, and 42, and everywhere else, God is saying that I created the universe. I laid the foundations. Remember the... A whole book of Job when God shows up, where were you when I did all these things, right? And then when we come to the New Testament, the authors or the apostles or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is like, of the sun, he says, of the sun, 
right? So, but wait, it was Yahweh who did it. But here we see that the son, Jesus, did it. Right? So, as Rick was saying, it's assigning divine prerogatives which only were unique to God in the Old Testament to Jesus, whereby they're equated that Jesus is Yahweh. Right? We start with creation. Creation was the big thing. And in the Old Testament, as I said a few times already, creation was the big sign that God alone is God. That's the big testimony that God gives over and over again in the Old Testament. Right? Who created all these things? Okay? No false god could do it. And bring, bring the heavens, bring the earth as witness. Let's see who, what, what they testify. Right? So creation... They say Jesus created everything. Same thing in Colossians 1, as we um, read uh, last time. Right? So, in this situation, clearly, and this is something that you can, act, you can tell the Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to your doorstep, because their Bibles also have this footnote. Okay? Their Bibles, they have different, um, whatever, they twist, they add a lot of things, they remove a lot of things. But when you go to Hebrews 1.8, it's the same words, of the Son, he says. And there, in their Bibles, there is a footnote to Psalm 102.25. Who is Psalm 102.25 talking about? But in the New Testament, it's talking about Jesus. So, so what do you conclude with that? One other, um, one other section, John 12.37-41 and Isaiah 6.1-10. Um, we will not go into this uh, as we did Hebrews 1.8, but this is when the uh, Greeks come to see Jesus, and um, John adds a footnote or a editorial comment in John 12. He says that many were believing him, and a lot of people actually did not believe him, and this was to fulfill what Isaiah said, that seeing they will not understand. Um, John 12.37 yeah, and he says, but, through, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For, the re for this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Who is John referring to over here? In this context of John, it's talking about Jesus, right? He did so many signs, but they still would not believe him. And then he says, Isaiah saw him. Who did Isaiah see? And where did Isaiah see him? Isaiah 6. You see the heavens open and the Lord is sitting on the throne and the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. Who is sitting on the throne? And who did Isaiah see? Yahweh is sitting on the throne, but John says that Isaiah saw him. Isaiah saw Jesus. When did Isaiah see Jesus? When he saw Yahweh. And Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. So there are other things that we can argue, and there are other passages. I've given you a link to an article I wrote on my website, um, Jesus, Creature, or Creator, and that actually addresses Arianism. Um, if you are interested, you can uh, read through that article. But again, there are other things that you can talk about also and show that Jesus is Yahweh. Any questions? Okay, so if there are no questions, if we say Jesus is Yahweh, is Jesus the same as the Father then? Is Jesus, like Derek said, the Father, uh, I don't know if it was Derek who said that or if it was Corrine, the Father and I are one. So is Jesus the same as the Father, the Father who was in the Old Testament, 
became Jesus in the New Testament. And that is the next heresy about Jesus' person where they say there are no, uh, there is one God and one person. And this is called modalism, where you say that you, you basically deny the personhood of Jesus. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're all one person. It's like a movie, right? When you have one person, uh, I don't know, the, when you have a double role for a person, one person is the, the actor plays one person in one scene and plays another person in the other scene, right? It's still the same person, but they're playing two different roles. Or you could say uh, you're a father in one relation, but you're a son in another relation, and then you're a grandfather, you're a husband, you're a brother, all of those things. But it's still one person, but different relation. You take on different modes. And that was another heresy, and again, it was called modalism, Sabellianism. There was a guy called Sabellius, and he propagated this heresy to say that no it's it's just one person and then there's another one which sounds weird it's called patripassianism which is basically saying the father became jesus and the father died on the cross so all of these are the same uh, variety of heresy where you're denying the person of the son right And uh, in their um, understanding, before the incarnation, Jesus was a plan or concept. He was not a person. It was the plan in God's head. Right? When you say in the beginning, uh, in the beginning was the word, logos. So they take that and they say, look, logos, it's, it's word. It's like, it's not a human. It's not a person. Come on. So he was, yeah, he was there in the beginning, but he was in God's head. He was in God's head. He was not... A person and then in the incarnation he became a person uh, as in God took on human nature and um, we have Jesus all right the other uh, thing that they say is it's one person in different manifestations which is the f in the Old Testament he was a father and in the New Testament he was the son again how would you refute that Okay, I'm going to rush here because we're running out of time. Um, the way you would show that Jesus existed before the incarnation as a person, right? Jesus was not just an idea. He existed before the incarnation as a person and that he is distinct from the Father. So those are the two things that you would need to show to refute modalism. And if you look at Philippians 2, 5 to 11, um, where we have the Carmen Christi or the hymn that Paul writes about. Um, and he's talking about humility. And he says, have the same mind in you as Jesus did. Uh, okay. Okay, from verse 6, he says, Jesus who... Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He existed. And when did he empty himself? In the incarnation. He existed before the incarnation, and he emptied himself and took on. And the emptying is that him taking on. That's the emptying. Take, took on human nature and was on the earth as a man and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Okay, so Philippians 2 says that Jesus existed before his incarnation as a person. And then John 17, if you go to John 17, it's the uh, high priestly prayer of Jesus. Who is Jesus talking to? Is Jesus talking to himself in John 17? It's like, is he telling himself, Father, glorify me, with the glory I had with you before creation. It's like, glorify myself? No, there are two different people in that conversation. There's the Father and there's the Son. And in John 17, 5, Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. 
Jesus was pre-existent as a person and he is distinct from the Father. There are two people in this conversation. Yes, Dennis. Yes. So, yes, absolutely. I mean, so what Dennis is saying is that they could not deal with the concept of the Trinity. And they were trying to come up with ways to explain it. And yes, this is where they ended up. And again, if um, this is about the Trinity, there is no real way you can explain the Trinity. Um, I was trying to get a video on, but I could not. The one that Kevin sent, which he knows about, but I was not able to do it. Even if I have the video, you cannot hear the audio. So technical difficulties, but um, if you're interested, you can go to YouTube and look at Trinity Luther Lutheran satire, okay? Um, and you can see it's very difficult to give an analogy for the Trinity. Anytime you start giving an analogy for the Trinity, you're in heresy land, right? If you say the Son, the God, the Father, Son, they're like, they are like whatever, whatever you fill in. Um, three parts of a clover leaf. No, you're just making them one third of a God, right? They're like, the egg and the white and the yolk, the shell, the egg white and the yolk. Like, no, the egg is not egg without the yolk. And by themselves, they're not eggs. Anyway, the point I'm trying to say is any analogy that you try to give to the Trinity, you will find yourself, and if you follow through, you will find yourself committing a heresy. Okay, so yes, they had trouble defining um, or trying to understand. What we can do with the heresy is know what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is one God and there are three persons. That's as much as Bible, the Bible says, and there's nothing more. Um, there's one God, three persons, co-equal, co-eternal. Okay, and that's where we stop. Uh, I saw Bob's hand first. Yes. Right. Term Trinity was coined by Tertullian to make sense of what the Bible was teaching. Yes, John. Yeah, so with regards to the Trinity, his question is we're saying what, what we're learning is refuting other arguments, but what can we say positively? In positively, what we can say is God is one God. God has always been one. Monotheism is what the Bible has taught from the beginning till the end. There is always one God. But in the person, sorry, in the being of one God, there are three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they are co-equal. They're co-eternal. They have different roles they play in um, achieving their uh, the, the, their purposes, but that doesn't mean that they are uh, inferior to one or there is a hierarchy. They are co-equal, co-eternal. In one being of God, there are three persons. Yes, Bob. When we use terms like Yeah, so the best place we can see about the Trinity is John 14, which uh, Bob just pointed out. There are other places where we can see the Trinity, Jesus' baptism. You see Jesus being baptized, and then there's a voice. Uh, the Father says, this is my beloved Son, and then the Spirit ascending, him, ascending on him as a dove. And then Matthew 28, where Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... All right, so the heresies today, so we have Jehovah's Witnesses, where these are the heresies today, or some of them are just non-Christian, and they attack Jesus' divinity. Jehovah's Witnesses, they say, just like Arian, 
uh, or areas that he was the first creature. And if you press them, like, who was he? Like, how do you, inter how do you understand him? They will say that he was Michael the Archangel, right? Again, that's something that if you're interested, you can look into. But he is the first creature. He is, he is a little G-God. And if you can go, to, go with John 1-1 one, one to them, and they will say, yes, look, there is no article. So they get into the Greek, and they confuse you. But they have a way to go around John 1-1. One, one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they say, no, the word was a God. So anyway, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Mormonism. Mormonism, they believe that the Father and Jesus both are human, or both are creatures. They're not God. Yeah, you can, you can look into that if you're interested. Um, Oneness Pentecostals. That's something that's active today. It's a big denomination in the U.S. and also in other parts of the world. And they... Um, there's a very famous preacher who follows uh, Oneness Pentecostal. Um, they have different manifestations that they err into modalism where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're just different manifestations of the one God or one person of God. Uh, Unitarianism, same thing. I don't know. You should ask Kevin. I don't know if... T.D. Jakes. <laughs> okay, Kevin named names. Um, all right, so Unitarianism, again, they're far, uh, not, I don't know if you can call them Christian, but again, they um, believe that there's one God, one person, and Jesus is not God, okay? There's one God, one person, but Jesus is not God. J Judaism, again, of course, Jesus was a rabbi, he was a great teacher, but he cannot be God because there's only one God. That would be blasphemy if you say Jesus was God. Okay. And Islam, as um, Kevin pointed out, um, for them, Jesus was a great prophet, just like uh, Muhammad is a prophet. Okay? Jesus was a great prophet, but he is not God. He's not even a son because God cannot be a father. All right. So what is at stake if Jesus is not God? Again, remember, we're defining heresy as those core uh, I mean, teaching against core Christian doctrines of salvific importance. So what is at stake if Jesus is not God? Yes, Trish. Salvation, yes. Okay, the first one is the nature of God. How can God share his glory with another? If there are two gods, like what's going on? Like we see in uh, the Old Testament and even in John seventeen five. Glorify me with the glory you, we had before the foundation of the world. But then in the Old Testament, God says, I will share my glory with no one else. So what's going on? What, what are we supposed to understand who God is? Right? So the nature of God is at stake, and we basically won't know who God is in his, through his revelation. Um, as Trish said, salvation, uh, how can an imperfect being, even though he is a creature, he is still a creature. He is not God. And anything that is not anyone, anything that is not God, is imperfect by definition. How can an imperfect being fulfill God's law and atone for sin? Right? And how can we be united to somebody who is not God? And in, in Jesus, we have redemption. In Jesus, we have adoption. In Jesus, we have an inheritance. In Jesus, we have everything. And if we are not united, if we are united to a creature, how does that get us all of those things, right? Our salvation and our, the meaning of our salvation is at stake. And of course, worship. How can we worship somebody who is not God? Okay, that would be idolatry. So if Jesus is not God and if we worship him, we are committing idolatry. All right. Um, so finally, to conclude, uh, Jesus is fully God, one in being with Yahweh. Philippians 2.6, we just read that. Being fully God, he was sinless. Right? Because he was God, he was sinless. Everyone who is a human or who is not God is born in sin. It is important to believe that Jesus is God for our salvation. Romans 10.9. If you 
believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your lips that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And Jesus said in John 8, 24, when he's talking to the Pharisees, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. Okay, and that is where you have the I am statement. And we can see that I am, where he says, unless you believe I am. So basically Jesus is saying, unless you believe I am Yahweh, you will die in your sins. Jesus died on the cross, not the Father. Um, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they take different roles in our salvation. And it was the Father who sent the Son. And the Son died on the cross, and the Spirit is the one who gives new life to God's people. And lastly, we can worship Jesus without any problems. Right? He is God. And as God, he deserves to be worshipped, and we can worship God. That's what Thomas did at the end of uh, John's Gospel. He said, my Lord and my God, because he realized. He realized that Jesus is Yahweh. He is God. He is the one who the prophet spoke of. And he bowed down when he realized that this truth, and he said, my Lord and my God. And that's what we are called to do. Know that Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. He is the same um, being as, as the one God, but different in personhood. All right, we are pushing our time, so let's pray and um, let's close. And if you have any questions, please stop by and we can talk. Father, we thank you for this morning, and thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, and Thank you, Lord, that in him we have redemption, in him we have adoption, and in him we have an inheritance. And Jesus, we praise you, and we worship you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.